This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I got several minutes here to talk about, obviously, the massive story from yesterday, and that's Justin Trudeau and his wife separating. It. Uh, I started getting text messages about it around 1030 in the morning. I forget when that particular announcement came down, like with the two Instagram posts, 1 o'clock, 1.30, maybe. Um, I was asleep for some of it. I'll, I won't lie about that. Three notable takes about it that I think are questionable, if not bad, in a couple minutes. But I would make this case about marriage. Um, it is I, I've seen a lot of people document the difficulty of political life on a marriage and the difficulty of travel on a marriage. Um, but I bet you there's people listening or saw a lot of those observations yesterday showing, of course, empathy. And I think our first thought is with, ah, it's, you know, it's not what you intend when you say I do, no matter what anybody thinks. Nobody plans to have two or three of them when they're having their first. Nobody plans that out. Exactly. I think you can cohabit and have a plan that it may not get, you know, you may not end up uh, hearing wedding bells or uh, having confetti in your hair or walking down the aisle with somebody when you live with somebody. I did that. I lived with somebody for two years. And I don't know that it was ever destined to work out, um, but it lasted two years. And it was probably maybe best for both sides that it didn't work out. But I learned something. I still cared about the person, but it wasn't the right fit. And I didn't get married until eight years even after that. Had kids two years after getting married. So um, the best predictor of happiness in North America, though, is still marriage. And you won't hear me, uh, you know, getting up on a Sunday morning and heading to a church or a synagogue or a mosque or anywhere and saying and starting to uh, preach about marriage. But I'm into data and that's where it's at. I've seen two different studies in the last day that notes Canadians who are married with kids lead happier and more prosperous lives than men and women who are single and childless. Like like I'm happier then you, if you're listening, you might not think that that's the case, but but I am. And that's even with kids. That's even with kids. And we do live in an era that has, it's a lot about the individual. It's a lot about being independent. It's a lot about how hard we work. It's a lot about work. We put more into it. Our parents don't want to hear this, but we put more emotional energy into our jobs than often they did. Why? Tech is one thing. <laughs> what you're you're you know if you're a school teacher your principal was going to call you at 7 15 p.m on a friday or 11 a.m on a sunday that would be unusual but it's not unusual to get an email now and by the way that's not a complaint for me i want to be in the loop i want to be prepped for something i want to be ready i and you can imagine with the news cycle it never stops a lot of our work for monday show is done sunday afternoon that's just one of those things um, but some people do put work above marriage and family. Some people do that. And I've seen a lot of statements that uh, that somehow, some way, Justin Trudeau put work before marriage. And I don't know that to be true. And I don't know it not to be true. Some bad takes I've seen about this is that it's not a story. Well, it certainly is a story. I'm talking about it right now. And I think it's the most important thing that happened yesterday. Um it, it's it's something that people are talking about. They are the second bad take. It will have no political effect. I don't know that that's true. I think people have their opinions about 
any partner, um, rather any politician and their partner. They like them together. They don't like them together. We're guessing, speculating, utilizing some form of innuendo about how happy they are. We sure did it with Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. You might have done it with Barack and Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama became a superstar in her own right. Best-selling author can sell out arenas for you to go pay $150 and listen to her speak. Nancy Reagan had that to a great extent. She was a she was an iconic pre-internet figure married to Ronald Reagan for eight. Well, well, he was president for eight years and certainly beyond that. And the third bad take to me is that the Trudeaus are going through some form of personal agony right now. I, I, and, and so leave them alone. I mean, yes to that. Yes to the latter. But you don't have a clue about the former, and I don't either. It could be a tremendous relief now because this is out publicly. It could be the greatest relief in ages. Yesterday could have been the best day emotionally for Sophie Gregoire Trudeau or Justin Trudeau in a long, long time because you're unburdened. You're not carrying a secret anymore. Yes, there's going to be a sense of you wanted to make this work and could not. But let's not pin this on, ha, Justin Trudeau's on a lot of airplanes. Right. Many people are for work. Let's not pin this on um, there was a career imbalance because being prime minister's this and being the prime minister's wife is that. Well, like Whether you think so or not, that would be validated. I don't know if anybody watched The Crown. Margaret Thatcher's husband in The Crown was a very sort of comedic, empathetic, you know, back to waiting in the shadows character who was there for her when she needed him. But she usually didn't. She usually didn't at that point in time when Margaret Thatcher was uh, ruling the roost, roost in Great Britain. Here's Mackenzie Gray yesterday talking to Alan Carter about what this does mean. And this was the second bad take and that it will have no political effect. Of course, it will. Here's what Global's Mackenzie Gray said. See, obviously, this is a personal story, but it is also a political story. So tell us about the prime minister's political future with this now happening. Well, I think the biggest thing we know today, Alan, is this underscores what we've heard from Justin Trudeau before. He is going to run in the next election. You don't go through something that is so personal in a public manner if you're not going to continue your political life into the next election. The other thing, too, I think, Alan, is anyone who's been through a divorce knows how taxing and difficult it is to deal with. You can't necessarily deal with your work in the same way. It's been a difficult period for the Liberals. I think we might see a return to Justin Trudeau from previous years now that this difficult situation is handled. For. It's easily possible. It's easily possible that's true. Bottom lining it, and, and some of what ails Canada, I'd argue it ails America as well, is marriage used to mean more. Marriage used to mean more, and support systems are just massive, whether they're with work, with friends, with family, with parents, with sisters, with brothers, whatever. And you know where they need to mean the most? Working class communities, poor communities. Somehow, some way, these da- this data point just keeps coming at us that the fabric of family life ends up being weakest in working class and poor communities. A big step forward would be there shouldn't be any penalties economically for marriage. By the way, it's a long, complicated subject, but we could adjust our tax system to give people a lot more incentive to get married. You'd pay a lot less in the process long term. And I hear this all the time. Divorce is costly. Staying single ends up being costly. Not cohabiting ends up being costly. We can build pretty meaningful and satisfying lives for ourselves. And by the way, if you have a great marriage, you know that you go back and forth and you argue 
and you go through things and you have peaks and valleys and you push through. It shows our children a renewed emphasis on the importance of marriage. Again, I'm no moralist. I don't uh, seek or bring you or share with you any sort of, you know, uh, religious doctrine. That's not about what this is. But being married, I get it. I hear younger people say, hey, I need somebody to find worth marrying. And that's harder than ever. I hear you, sister. I hear you, brother. I know that that ends up being a particular issue at this point. But the decline in marriage rates is something. It's not nothing. And it's not great. It's not great, though we don't know why that the prime minister and his wife separate now with three kids that will feel a family somewhat fractured. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. You can imagine um, the, the tone of the day yesterday was was very, um, you know, very emotional, I think. I think people had um, sort of a, a, a relatable factor when Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau announced their separation. And there's there's big picture items, of course, that will come in the process of somebody being so in the public spotlight, so under scrutiny. And yes, um, still like not exactly wandering off into retirement anytime soon. So um, there's there's a lot to it. But it, it got me looking at more of a macro perspective of divorce in Canada, how it's changed. I know that the D word's not being used. It's the S word right now. Um, with Justin and and Sophie, but most people think that will end up being the logical outcome. So I want to dive into some of those uh, demographics and and what he sees on the ground floor with Damian May, a clinical social worker um, who uh, does couples counseling here in Toronto. Damian, thanks very much for making the time. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Do we have any myths? I want to even ask coming out of the pandemic, are there any um, myths, truths about we all we heard? And it was more um, colloquial than anything is of, boy, if your marriage strengthened during the pandemic, you're in good shape, given the amount of time many spouses had to spend and families had to spend with each other. Are you seeing, like I said, of couples coming through your door looking for counseling post pandemic that's unique to that that two or three years? Oh, absolutely. Um, COVID was a very busy time for me uh, and mm. post COVID was as well. If there are issues in a relationship and then you're in a closed environment that you can't escape, those issues are going to rise up and make themselves known, um, which is actually a good thing because then you can actually excise the infection and try to get people back on the right path. It's interesting, too, because I would make the case that work is such a stress point. Money's a stress point with like, let's face it, money, loyalty, work, um, difference of opinions on raising kids. Um, They all they all are probably things that if, if they don't go the right way could add to the potential for a separation. But given that travel, um, travel was almost eliminated, work was eliminated. Maybe some marriages ended up flourishing because the, the two people actually got the time they'd been craving together to some extent. And those are the couples you probably didn't see. Well, I did see a few. Um, um, and these are couples who kind of connected because of COVID. And mm. as a result, their relationship flourished. Uh, they come because I have people come to me for different reasons. You know, um, I am the last thread of hope. Uh, some people are just trying to reconnect. Uh, but I get that few couples that I just love. They're the ones who say, hey, we're good, but we're not satisfied with good. We want to be great. 
And um, those are the couples that I met coming out of COVID. Small percentage, but it's very heartwarming to find these guys. I, the numbers I saw, and, and uh, the Globe and Mail just published them last month, um, Damien, was that we've had a big fall in our divorce rate, um, down to 7.5 divorces per 1,000 married persons in 2019 from 12.9 in 1994. But that's more about a changing and aging population rather than well, we've we've all got the magic elixir and we've all figured out how to make marriages work forever. Well, yeah, part of it is a function of age, but also it's a function of finance. It's a function of economics. Mm-hmm. Can we afford to get divorced? You know, um, I have numerous people who come to me because they've been roommates for years. They, you know, the, the spark has been gone. They barely know one another. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've often believed that, that's sort of I maybe it's not a myth, um, but it's certainly been a theory that if you can get through. I mean, we we joke and there's movies, right? The seven year itch and it gets referenced still pop culture wise. If you can make it through that five to seven year period, especially because many of us probably are living with our partner before we end up getting married. So there isn't this culture shock all of a sudden of like all our parents and grandparents, certainly you leave your parents' house, boom, you're into a marriage. And that's usually a lot younger. Is there anything about getting through that first half decade, getting through that seven years and, and knowing how to handle the, you know, the inevitable conflicts that'll happen? Absolutely. Um, seven year itch is pretty accurate, uh, but it's not the big one. Okay. Anecdotally speaking, you know, I've been in the field mm-hmm. for about 40 years. I've had over 4,000 clients. I don't have the research in front of me, but I've, I've been around the block a few hundred thousand times, uh, crisis. I, every couple goes through crisis. Uh, in my experience, crisis tends to occur between 14 to 18 years into the marriage. And that's a function of, uh, changing lifestyles. It's a function of being in a different developmental place. It's a function of how old your kids are, what's going on with your career. There's a number of different elements to this. And my experience has been that couples who survive crisis become extraordinarily deep and extraordinarily uh, close. However, getting through that is, is, a, is, is often traumatic. Um, one of the things, uh, if I can go a little bit into yeah, detail. Here, yeah. One of the things I, I, I talk to my clients about, um, having gone through this tragedy myself, uh, is when I came out to the other side, I realized everything that I had done wrong. It didn't matter what she did, it matter what I did. And from that, I came up with what I call the first principles, three fundamental principles that have to exist in a marriage. Now, when I say these principles, apply those to the political life, right? First principle, there's no one more important than my partner. Nothing comes between us. That's highly tested for a head of state. Secondly, Every decision I make, does it serve me or does it serve the relationship? Well, a lot of these decisions are serving the country, you know, and, and so yeah. the tug of war there. And then the third one is um, people are generally decent. They come, uh, they come by their feelings honestly. They have a right to their feelings. They're valid. I don't have the right to dismiss or be offended by them. Now, that is a healthy type of attitude to take, which will burn you alive in Parliament, Okay. Uh, because there's this faux uh, offense that everybody takes at the slightest word and those kinds of things. So in Parliament, working within that particular transactional economy, it's hard not to bring that home. All right? So there is an uphill battle. 
Now, between when it comes to celebrity, it's different from Hollywood to politics because politics is about all that transactionalism. And you don't see as many affairs or that kind of stuff as you see in Hollywood. The Hollywood is because they're away six months of the, day, of the time doing their shoots. Uh, they're always being flirted with. They're being, they have syncophants around them, all that kind of thing. But what I have found is that uh, if you hold to the three principles, your life can go to hell around you, but you're great at home, right? But if you don't have that at home and everything else is going great, you're, you're miserable. I'd also like to point out one thing. They announced their separation. It says nothing about a separation agreement, okay? Yeah. So this is just the first step. Um, the percentage of people, and you can look this up, the percentage of people who regret making the decision to separate, to split the blanket, 12 to 18 months later is between 35 to 50%. Okay? So I would just caution people not to look for, too far ahead because separation does not always mean divorce. Okay? Um, during the separation, there's a grieving thing. They got to be really worried about the kids. You know, any kid under the age of 15 is going to think it's their fault. Yeah, yeah. All right, because they're fairly self-centered at that age. That's where they are developmentally. I can't tell you how many times my heart's been broken. Daddy, I'll be good. I'll be good. Please don't leave us. Okay? So now mm-hmm. you you mentioned earlier, Greg. You mentioned that uh, you know that you know Trudeau, is, Trudeau is, is not at the end of his career and that kind of stuff. But I would say you know he became PM what 2015. Yeah, it's been eight eight years, almost eight, eight years. years exactly. Eight, yeah, eight years. You know, uh, I I don't know about you, but I, I figured by 2025, 2026, he's probably going to move on to something else where he'd be less in the spotlight, and that's a place. Uh, where he will have to face mm. a lot of self-examination. Um, I got I got 45 seconds left, but I don't want this to be our last chat by a long shot. Do children of divorce, Justin Trudeau was six when his parents split up. Again, ton of scrutiny, ton of attention, ton of spotlight. And even in, an, in a pre-internet era, I'd almost argue his dad had more spotlight because there was just less stuff to distract us. Do children of divorce... It's not inevitable, but do the numbers still bear it out that they've got a lot harder time making their own marriage work someday? They haven't had a good example. It does it does present an issue, and when I'm doing my assessments, I always take a look at that particular dynamic. Mm. Uh, hey, Damien, let's chat again, um, and I appreciate what you do and, and you coming on this morning to talk to us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Loved, love it. Um, thank you for doing this. Damien May uh, joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Yesterday, two things on the education front. I watched uh, a report by Colin DeMello, our Queen's Park uh, Bureau Chief, on more problems. And this makes me have boiling blood, basically. More, um, how would I put it? Platitudes, more rhetoric about um, where we are with with the school unions and uh, the province. I, I, I don't know what to do to get these folks in a room and make this work. It's very, very frustrating. Um, it, I should point out the OSSTF contract ended before the school year started last year. So did the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. So they've been working on, in essence, the terms of an old contract. Um, prior to they basically rolled through the summer right Ford gets reelected 
bumps himself up from 66 to 83 seats and uh, and they're riding high in the saddle. But they can't they can't get the education deals done. And by the way, I don't lay any of that, all of that at the doorstep of Stephen Lecce, the minister of education. And I don't lay all of it at the doorstep of uh, the unions who drive a hard bargain. They drove hard bargains during the 14, 15 years of uh, of liberal um, dominance in Queens Park. So um, now the, the element is out there, the idea of a public school teacher strike. And they're not in a position right now. They haven't even taken a strike vote. They haven't done what QP did last year that caused some disruption to education in the uh, in the latter half of the calendar year. I feel like it was actually a nice weather day that we missed a couple of days, but I want to say it was late October, early November. I don't think it was before the end of November, so maybe it was five, six weeks in, and we missed a couple of days. And remember, there was a notwithstanding clause used by the province, and as he often does, for better or worse, richer or poorer, uh, Doug Ford reversed course and said, I'll, I'll yank the clause away, but they've got to come back to work. And the strike action, the clause is gone. And they made this work and ended up getting a deal done with QP. <sighs> Mere days later, maybe a week and a half after that, it was a Sunday afternoon. I remember that much. Here's uh, David Maslin from uh, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario documenting a level of frustration right now with the provincial government. The government have basically shown an absolute disrespect for that process and have made um, it very difficult to find collaborative spaces to discuss this topic at the table. We will continue to attempt to bargain, but when one party determines that they're going outside of that process, it does put pressure on the other side um, to make decisions uh, as to how best to approach that. Okay, I know it's frustrating. Um, I know many teachers listen to the show and um, I, I can't thank you enough for doing what you do. We have to find a, a balance here. You want a deal. I don't blame you for wanting a deal. Um, and there was a lot of, again, rhetoric and discord about what's being asked of of school boards, of, of school boards. When I actually think um, the school boards, in essence, by being not very transparent about data, have brought a lot of that upon themselves. But I but I would just. I don't think teachers want to strike. I know they don't want to lose paychecks and I know they want to be in class. We often hear noise from what I would call still a loud minority sometimes. By the way, that loud minority was quite vocal in what? Late 2021, early 2022 about schools not being safe and about potential labor action and no extracurricular activities. And maybe you won't get a, Maybe you won't get a formal or a prom or maybe sports won't resume in the spring and parents weren't having any of it. And I still think parents are there a little bit. So whatever you think of the Ford government, of Minister Lecce, about how they handle education, and I've got bones to pick on that front. You know that I do. Let me reemphasize for public school teachers. Um, I doubt you'll strike. I, I doubt it will get to that. You won't have support from the public who remembers when certain union leaders deemed the schools not safe when they were and tried to push this further along. And kind of I think they kind of hoped it would just be a giant poop sandwich for the education minister and the premier. And, and it turned out not to be in the spring of 22. Um, now, that said, um, I, I understand as well that there has to be. Um, more emphasis from from the province. Like, again, this should have more of a sense of urgency than it does. I wouldn't even say from both sides, 
But I think it's got to have far more of a sense of urgency. Um, I saw this also yesterday, and I'll spend a few minutes on it. I know there was a a TDSB uh, rally in front of the Toronto District School Board yesterday. You can imagine there's still a lot of discussion uh, about the scrutiny of one segment, one day, one hour of that day, and maybe a 10-minute portion of that hour um, concerning DEI training. From uh, this particular group and this particular from this Kojo group and from Kiki Ojo Thompson, who's an anti-racism trainer. So yesterday in front of the TDSB um, with a uh, in the shadow of the suicide of a former you know, qu- a principal for a quarter century, Richard Bilkstow, um, he retired from the school board in 2019. You know this. Continued to work on a contract basis and had filed a lawsuit against the school board, saying they didn't protect him, stand up for him, back him, um, take the temperature down after a confrontation with Ms. O- Ojo Thompson during this particular workshop. Um, the Ontario Education Minister wants to um, investigate it. They'll review the circumstances that led to the educator's death. The TDSB uh, is is going to end up doing the same thing. So yesterday there was a a rally um, for uh, black communities concerned about anti-racism measures. Let me just say this. um, If you're against hate and you're against racism, I'm with you. I I, I stand with the black community organizations expressing concern here. I'd also like them to consider that in that 10 minute sequence of an hour of an afternoon of a week, a month, a year of anti-racism training. Just consider, possibly, maybe, an iota of a chance, a fraction of a chance that, that, you know, that may or may not have led to a man taking his own life, that not everything was done the way it was previously in terms of taking the temperature down, not having confrontations, not assailing someone's reputation, and that we can tweak the methodology of which we do um, measure measure diversity and anti-racism and if, if you want specifically anti-black racism like I want to be an ally I'm against hate and I'm against racism I'll, I'll raise my hand I don't I hate racism I, I, I hate hate but let's not confuse that there's no lesson to learn here and that's kind of what I'm seeing here no lesson here we're trying to get shut out shut down marginalized wouldn't you want there to be an investigation wouldn't you want to acknowledge like, like even to a small percentage, this might have not have gone perfectly and it might have led to bad circumstances. Wouldn't you want now to issue some sense that you would do things differently the next time that you'd say, oh, you, you feel that way? That's interesting. I don't. I guess we won't agree on this. Let's move on because that's what it's supposed to be. If, by the way, if you lose someone like me on this and you lose other logical people on this that I've heard from. I I would hate for the same mistake to be made twice. I would like for this process of teaching what inclusion should be for righting wrongs of the past, for making sure that workplaces not only have diverse faces and bodies and people in them, but to make sure that that we understand why they haven't been forever. I would think those would be important things. I would think those would be notably important things. There are probably people in the TDSB, uh, maybe a couple, who are racist. That Maybe there are. 
And there's features of our life in Toronto, Ontario, Canada that are legacies of a more racist past. Yes. Um, but racism's not everywhere. And I bet you there's a lot more good people than bad in the TDSB. And there's a lot more good students than bad who come to those classrooms. Okay. So um, I don't want to, if you look for racism everywhere, you will um, lose people who think um, there's too much stress on and, and strain on something that, that causes the problems with people rejecting diversity. And I don't want diversity rejected. I don't want DEI training to go away. I just want it to be done properly and right. And I think that's all people are looking into. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. And at 7 o'clock, let's talk with Danny Stover takes place. And we're talking with Danny Stover right now um, about uh, some of the day's issues. And, of course, I uh, heard Today in T.O. podcast dropped yesterday. And there doesn't a day go by, I think, Danny, when there isn't some form of update on the Metro strike, it'll hit a week as of Saturday morning. So this is day six. Tomorrow will be day seven, Saturday, day eight. And uh, you've got some in-depth uh, stuff on it on the Today and T.O. pod. Yeah, I think with the, the strike, um, what I find interesting is that it's kind of speaks of what's going on lately. And a couple of weeks ago, we did an episode on um, the SAG after strike and the writer strike in Hollywood and uh, what's going on here with ACTRA. And so I think the Metro strike just kind of speaks to a bigger picture of workers who aren't satisfied seeing their CEOs take home huge profits and seeing big money come in and not getting a piece of that. And um, so I I thought it was an interesting story. I don't go too in depth, but Mm -hmm. I do. I'll catch you up on what's going on. Um, Dave Bradley's on the pod as well. He's uh, talking about uh, where the food will go, the not the perishable food that uh, is in these stores. So yeah, I, I think Loblaws is next. They'll be negotiating with Local 414 as well in the, in the fall. And so um, I think now's the time for these workers to step up and say, look, we deserve more. We deserve some more fairness and we deserve to be fairly compensated. Yeah, I, I think I think two things. One is is that the other workers at the other grocery giants um, are watching this really, really carefully. It's a little like when there's one teacher's union that makes a deal with the province and the other's teacher union say, OK, that's what they got. Now, that that's sort of our baseline to start. But to your point as well, we, we had the union rep on from Unifor yesterday. And when you consider the only thing that I think is really tough for the companies is how do you pay? Where should you be paying people? Should you be paying everybody at the baseline that it costs to live in an expensive city like Toronto with a grocery job? Or do you look and go, you are choosing to live in Toronto. We can't pay everybody in Sarnia and Sudbury and, you know, small town Colburg like we can people who are, who are living at Young and Eglinton. There are choices. I don't know what the balance is, but but obviously the union and their workers don't feel the balance is close enough right now. Yeah. And I loved uh, I heard uh, an interview with the president of uh, the local 414. And he was like, listen, like they've the workers have been very clear with what they want. The deal that we've gotten is a good one. He says it's mm-hmm. it's a good deal. One Maybe the one of the best deals we've seen in recent years. It's just not enough. And uh, he says, so, you know, back to the bargaining table. That's a good problem to have. And I thought that was very refreshing to hear of like, here's a guy who's you know, thinking, yeah, this will get approved. It's not. This means more work for him, but he's excited about it because it kind of speaks to like, great, this is what I'm in the union for. We're negotiating. We're we're throwing things back and forth and we're trying to figure out the best deal for all going forward. Well, I thought about it, too, and, and, and I think it's a point worth emphasizing with where Metro's at is 
the idea is, and the workers are saying this, they're saying the, 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 the bosses want way more part-time people than full-time people. They don't have to pay full benefits out. No vacation time. They can manipulate schedule. And when I, when I even think about waiting tables, I started waiting tables the second I turned 18. I was I was busing tables at a restaurant before, but you got to be 18 to serve alcohol. And it felt like there were two full-time waiters waitresses and there were like 38 part-time ones that just juggled shifts and some days you got some weeks you got scheduled for four shifts and some weeks you got scheduled for one but you didn't get paid vacation and you and you couldn't you didn't you didn't get any discount on prescription drugs they probably preferred it that way um that they had fewer full-time employees and you would think 25 years later there's more regulation in that doesn't seem like it in the grocery industry anyway it is weird like um i think it's 70 percent part-time yeah. positions at these stores. And so that is, that is quite high. And you're right. That's why they do it. It's so they don't have to pay out, um, you know, bigger. And they can. It's, it, it drove me nuts when I was working because you're right. Some weeks you'd have, ooh, a four-shift week. All right. I got some money coming in. I can buy a new outfit. Uh, I can put this towards books at school or what have you. And uh, then there are those weeks where it's like one shift. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And you and I know now there are no more books at school. They're all on computers. I miss buying textbooks. They don't read books anymore? <laughs> <They've>, <laughs> well, I think that's par- partly true. And they don't give you hard. We used to, in university, you'd buy textbooks and then you'd be begging other people to take them, even though you treated them badly for eight months. And you're like, no, 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 I promise they're in good condition. When you come see them, this is the, t- you, you turn into Trump. You're like, this is the textbook for you. Everybody's saying it. This is a great deal uh, at, a, at a 20% discount. Oh, man. And then it turns out I, it's not. It's I somehow had like four copies of the same philo- or philosophy <laughs> textbook that I could not give away. <laughs> I don't now, think I even opened it once. So how did you react to Justin and Sophie's news yesterday? All right. Well, my family does this thing every New Year's. We get together um, and we put our predictions out for the year. And so for the past three or four years, my prediction has been that Trudeau and Sophie will break up. Um, so when I saw the news yesterday, I was like, I knew it. So you can make, um, are you so allowed that, to keep making the same prediction year after year? I do. Like if I said aliens will land and, and let us know their plans You'd for us. You'd be right this year. I would be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've got four months left. Anything can happen. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I've seen quite a bit of like, you know, rumors chatter on Instagram of people who were like, this was a long time coming. Yeah. Um, and this, that dates even pre-pandemic. Um. And I heard your guest before. It's a separation. It might not be, you know, this might just be something they're testing out. I do think if they've announced it, they're they're past that point. That's it. Yeah. And and I I saw like I think there were good takes and bad takes on it yesterday. One one I didn't love is it's not a story. Well, it is a story. It and and it's got political implications. But but yeah, the personal stuff maybe we'll never know. Probably we don't deserve to. It's up to them. It's their story to tell. The other thing I thought about Danny is the concept. Well, they're just going through agony right now. Maybe maybe they are. But maybe it's relief. You carry something oh, yeah. like you carry this sort of it feels like a dreadful secret. And I don't doubt there's that sense of failure. But then that failure will lead to. A new beginning. Like if this is like, again, if we separate the politics ago, this is just somebody that tried to make it work. High pressure, high scrutiny, all this stuff. And it and it didn't. Um, then then all we can do is say, well, I hope you're happier now that this is out. How could they not be? I feel like. And you can you can reframe it any way. They made it work for 18 years. That's not nothing like that is impressive. They've got three beautiful children. Um, you know, they have made it work. Um, I think sometimes. 
and I blame the nineties. Um, but I, I think sometimes <laughs> we get into our heads of like, Oh, divorce is bad. And, and you know, Oh, how dare you ask for a prenup and all of these things where it's just like, come on, we're adults. And we're, we're just at the end of the day, we're all trying to walk each other home. So let's just make it the easiest we can on each other. Let's be kind. Let's be easygoing. Um, Certainly, I sound like a child not of divorce. I do sympathize with the kids, and I know it's not easy. Um, but I do think we can we can tip it on its head and say, look, they made it work for 18 years. They're coming out ahead of this. They're trying to do the right thing. We can have respect for that. Yeah. And and also, you know, also, it is exciting. I mean, it is a story. We work in the news. And so, you know, when I saw that come across, I was like, all right, well, here's what we're talking about today. Yeah, I, I think it is. And I don't think like a lot of people like, well, marriage will become obsolete. And I don't think so. But it's just highly unlikely. We're getting married later in life. Many of us are living together before we get married. I tend to believe that ends up being a good thing. So um, I was I, at a wedding last night. We're <laughs> It's amazing you're up this morning talking to me. Are you kidding? I am quite amazed. Uh, I, two of my uh, dear friends, um, and they're a bit, you know, they're in their 40s, um, got married last night at an apartment uh, next to Riverside Park on Broadview. And uh, it was a lovely little ceremony, right? Overlooking the park. And we had a couple drinks and it was just like six of us signing a piece of paper. And it was lovely. Oh, that's a, that's almost like a destination wedding, except the destination was the city you live in. That's what it sounds like to yeah. me. To some extent. And they'll celebrate on Saturday. But this was this is something that my, me and my husband did as well. We just kind of yeah. got together in the park, signed the paper, did the thing and and then partied. But I, you know, yeah. I love being married. Actually, I think it's it, it does feel different and it's fun. It's fun. Now. It's fun. I'm uh, I'm I'm still uh, enjoying it as much as ever, maybe more so because there, I think there's less stress as it goes along. Like it, in that first two years, you're like. You just don't want anything, any tragedy, anything to go wrong terribly. Um, anyway, I could go on and on. It's 20 next year for me. So uh, that's a we'll big, uh, that's a big moment. Yeah. 20 to two. You'll, you'll make it. You'll, you'll make it there. <laughs> you, you got more, you got more of a chance of making it to 20 than I do to, uh, to 60. Let's put it that way. So that, that's an age thing more than anything else. Hey, we'll be listening <laughs> to Let's Talk tonight. And the Today in T.O. podcast is available everywhere. Spotify, Apple, and everywhere else. Thanks for this. Thank you. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. We insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And our discussion, oh, it's not drinking in parks again, is it? No, not really, but it's kind of about this. We found this mouse in a bottle of Elsinore beer that we bought at your beer store, eh? And we heard, like, when that happens, that uh, you get your beer free. It's in the Canadian criminal code, eh? Yeah. Like, there's legal precedent setting cases in law. So, like, uh, give us our free beer. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Now get out of here before I put the two of you in a bottle. Okay, listen, I could go on and on. It's the third, it's the 40th anniversary of Strange Brew this summer. And uh, I'm going to tell you, Gord, you're of, you're of my vintage. I was, yes. I was expecting so much more. I wanted so much more of a funnier film. Yeah. I didn't like it. No. I wanted to love it. Well, it's, it, it fell into the pitfalls of when, you know, like the SNL movies. Yeah. They're, they very rarely go from the two-minute sketch to a two-hour movie. It, 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 there's... There's not a lot that you can you can do there. Well, not we bring this up because it's a simple debate. 416-870-6400 in or out on bottles versus cans. And Canadians have changed their habits a fair bit just in the last decade. 
Canned beer sales went from 36.6% to 54.7%. Bottles went from 54 to 354 uh, Easier to store, easier to carry, but is it our particular preference? Lyle Rabashat, our, our, uh, our producer in for Shiva Siddiqui, you start us off. Bottles or cans when it comes to beer consumption and purchase? I am uh, very firmly on team bottle. I think beer tastes so much better when it's out of a cold glass bottle. However, I understand it's more practical to only have that option. Probably in restaurants, shouldn't take bottles to the beach, shouldn't take them uh, to these new parks that we can, of course, drink in now. Uh, it's a danger to the public. It's a danger to people. But I am firmly on, if I had the choice, team bottle. I think there is that perception there. Um, bottles have a, you know, bottles let some light in. Now, um, apparently, if you leave that that beer in the sun too long, if it's not under some kind of patio umbrella gourd, there's some chemical changes. And all of a sudden, within like 10 minutes, your beer can taste less pleasant than it first did. Where are you? And then it becomes something we call skunky. Yeah. Well, you should just like skunk. We don't like to use the word skunky, but it probably only applies to beer and, and skunks. That's why the bottles are brown to kind of. That's diffuse. what provides brown yeah. or brown's better protection than green. I yeah. did not know that. And clear bottles. Yeah. Like, you know me, I'm a, just a big Zima drinker. So, <laughs> Corona. Yeah. Cor- right. Brown uh, before green. Are you a bottles or cans person when it comes to your beer? I am on Team Can because you can get tall boys now. I think that's what's changed the game. Before, more bang for the buck. Yeah, you get to, you get more beer for your... Uh, you can get them in six packs. You can uh, stack them better, and uh, and there's no breakage. You drop it on the ground, you lose your beer, and that's the biggest tragedy of the whole day. I think I've gotten more cans, too. I, I, like, I like that Lyle, the youngest of the three of us, is a little more uh, of a retro feel. I only make the case that they are lighter. It is harder to break them. It's almost my fault when I break them. Uh, and but, but then again, I think you're more likely to leave them in the back of your car. And then all of a sudden you're like, what? what's, that, what's that odor? Who does that? Well, when you come from golf or something and, and you walk to the parking lot, you're not, you don't have them in your front seat. You just kind of toss them in the back. But how do you forget? Did you have you beer do, on your person? Because you don't clear your car out in more than, you, sometimes you live out of your car. Uh, 416-870-6400 is, uh, is the phone number. Um, and I, and I think there's been canned technology. See, Lyle, you don't, you're, you're too young for stubbies, but you know, I know you know what they are, but you probably like, like every can, uh, every bottle of beer in, when I started probably drinking beer before they, it created long necks look like, like what red stripe looks like that Jamaican beer. I've actually had a stubby. They brought them back for, I think it was a retro campaign for most did they do that? And I did have a stubby. They're not very efficient, though, and you can't no. really take a long, hearty sip. No. I, I, I no, think. There's a reason why, like everything else, there's a reason why technology advances. I never knew about the brown bottle versus green bottle thing, though. It never would have occurred to me that green lets more light in, so sooner, the longer that beer sits in the light, even if it was brought out to you ice cold yeah. by the server. See? That you're in big trouble. Like, you got to move on that beer faster. You can't just You can't just leisurely... Have a long chat and let it sit there yeah. for minutes on end. Science, it is science, <laughs> and yeah, I know people are bringing up that there's a there's a liner in the can, so it tastes kind of plasticky. I know, I know, it's just easier to take them places, and when you drop them, they just fizz up and they don't burst into a bunch of brown glass on the pavement. Seven twenty nine, four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred. Beer in cans, beer in bottles. Dave, a preference? I I think cans because you can crush them. 
So they don't uh, they don't take them yet. Well, if you want, uh, it all depends on how many you've had before that. But uh, I guess you can crush them, and then you don't have like massive amounts of bottles kicking around in your basement waiting to go back. Yeah, a listener does bring up. What if I want to use the word skunky? Then cans are better for for them. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's if that's in your vocabulary. I've had skunky beer. Day. As a matter of fact, it's not good. Yeah, I've never sent one back to the uh, to the kitchen when you go to uh, at home. That's a bad idea. Yeah, and uh, but but in in a, a place of business, I've never sent a beer back. I'm not. They don't give you the option like they do for wine, where you, they you splash it around. They give you a little taste of it. Yeah, it's true. Actually, 